There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. Hey, how you doing? Ooh, nice. We always get a nice little song from you on that. Out there in the world. So nice to have you back. And I just got to say, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who reached out on my birthday yesterday. Uh, It was so nice. That was was really nice. I mean, just seeing all these messages. Not only that, but my birthday happened to land on the day that Spotify Wrapped came out for everyone. (sighs) So to see all y'all sharing that we were often your number one or number two podcast. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I couldn't have asked for a better birthday gift. No, seriously. Honestly. What a present. It really was. It was, just, it was just such a good day. It just felt so good all day seeing all those, mm-hmm. getting all these kind messages. Yeah. They're all the best. Right? Yeah. What a beautiful collection of listeners we have. I know. Y'all are even better than than our friends. <laughs> Some of you are our friends and you're That's you're true. you're the best of both categories. The MVPs yeah. of friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, no, it was a great day. We got some fondue. Yeah, I did. Um Diana got me a beautiful set of knives. Yeah. Uh, because I like to cook and I like a good knife. Well, and I had got you our current knives yeah. for Christmas one right. year, many right. years ago. Right. But they are not good. Well, they a, were. That was a. <laughs> it was a poorer time. <laughs> hey, they were a step up from our previous knives, Very and true. these knives are a step up from those. So it's just nice to see our lives improving, right. uh, as represented by our kitchen knives. Yeah, we're <laughs> moving up the staircase of life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get into this story today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going somewhere we haven't been in a while. That's true. Yeah. We're going to Africa, baby. Yes. Because we're going to talk about Njinga of Ndongo and Matamba, Ooh. who was a 
badass queen. Of course. She ruled for nearly four decades in the 1600s. Okay. It's a very long time. Yeah. Um, and like many rulers, she has a really complicated legacy. But unlike many rulers, we don't hear much about her political prowess, her military genius, mm. how she affected her country's history. Okay. Mostly because racism, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> but we should have heard about this because... Jinga was a really was a certified badass. She's a hundred percent that bitch. Oh, she managed to fight off Portuguese colonization using a combination of diplomacy, military tactics, and strategic marriages ah. uh, until they were forced to negotiate with her as an equal. And her legend has since grown to include a lot of wild stories that are probably not true. Of course, but what has been verified is very exciting on its own. So. Let's hear about Jinga of Ndongo and Matamba and how she made Portugal bow to the double queen. Oh, yeah, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. All right, before we kick it off, I want to let you know most of pretty much everyone's information about Jinga comes from Linda Haywood's biography, Jinga of Angola. Um, so we'll note when we find quotes or info from elsewhere. But otherwise, just know that is what to read if you want to get the clearest picture of her life. Okay. Thank you, Linda Haywood. I know. Thank you, Linda Haywood. <laughs> Doing the work. <laughs> Doing the thing. <laughs> Jinga was born around 1583. She was the daughter of the king of Ndongo, or as they call it, the Ngolo. Okay. That's what they call the king. His name was Colombo, and her mom was his favorite slave wife and concubine, Kingela. It was a very hard birth because the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck. So she was given the name Jinga, which means to twist or turn. Well, well, well. That's uh, speaking of my birthday. Maybe I should have been named Jinga. Oh yeah, when yeah. You had umbilical, umbilical cord maybe? was wrapped twice around my neck. I was <laughs> no kidding. I was born at home and probably pretty dead uh, <laughs> when I was born. The, the story, uh, I believe, as my mom told me, is that uh, her midwife, Meg. Um, you remember in the cartoon 101 Dalmatians with Lucky? Yes. And she had, they had to put him in a towel and like yes. rub him until he woke up. It was the most stressful minute of well, my young life. <laughs> imagine that was your son because that's pretty much what they had to do to me, apparently. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Did they put you in an oven or something? No, I think it's literally just in a blanket and just like, let's well, just rub him back and forth wow. until he wakes up. And it worked. Yeah. So your birthday and your death day, same day. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I already got that part over with, so I'll live forever. <laughs> That's key to immortality. <laughs> That's fun. I was born, I was an extremely easy birth. Apparently, I just slid yeah. right on out. <laughs> yeah. You slid right out with a with a clipboard, uh, getting ready. You were already halfway through a project. <laughs> I was like, I have many notes about how things are set up around here. Let me tell you. And they were like, oh, is oh, it a boy Lord. or a girl? Oh, no, it's a producer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a manager. Get out. <laughs> Throw her out the window. You probably will like this part because people who survived difficult births were thought to have special powers. Yeah, I would say known to have special powers. No, but thought is okay. Point, we've proven it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they expected some great things from Jinga early on mm. just by virtue of how she was born. But one of the reasons that she actually got to do anything cool might be because she was born a woman. Oh. Surprisingly. 
Because since she wasn't a boy, she wasn't seen as competition for her father's heir, which was her brother, Mbandi. Mm. So Kilambo was able to lavish on Zynga all the love and attention that he wanted without offending anyone. Pretty nice setup. So she was like his favorite kid and right away, a total badass. Nice. She, I'm, I'm picturing her as like an infant, just like, what? <laughs> Everybody's like, holy shit. <laughs> and she trained as a warrior. She had particular skill with the battle axe. Amazing. Just, just cool Rosa Diaz vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Frequently, she would beat the hell out of her brother or anyone else who cared to step to her on the sparring field. Ooh. And her father also included her in other areas of governance. He included her in important councils and rituals. And she was taught to read and write in Portuguese by visiting missionaries. Sounds like a lot of responsibility for a toddler. I know, right? She's like, (laughs) but whatever, she's ready. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I didn't cut that umbilical cord for nothing. And yes, the Portuguese taught her to read and write because the Portuguese were already in this region. In 1575, they showed up. And they allied with Ndongo's northern rivals, the Congo, to bring Christianity to darkest Africa <laughs> and, of course, establish a slave trading post in Luanda. Yeah. You know, they showed that, oh, yes, yeah, so we're here to bring Christianity to everyone. My Portuguese is going to be Italian, <laughs> just so you know. Just go ahead and lay that out <laughs> so now. Where are they from? <laughs> Chef Boyardee. <laughs> we bring you Christianity and the, uh, the pasta primavera. No, whatever. Portuguese uh. accent, they say, we're here. We brought the church. We brought God. And we're going to take some of you back as slaves, too. But the real thing we're here for is God. It's all about the God. Definitely the God's uh-huh. number one. So there were several years of peace between them and the Portuguese. But then the Portuguese started trying to monopolize the slave trade. They burned down whole villages and took hostages, some estimating that they captured and enslaved 50,000 people. Isn't that just the way somebody comes in? You've got all these mom and pop trade shops set up (laughs) and the big guys come in and they just monopolize the whole thing. I mean, the Walmart of the slave trade. Not fair for independent business owners. (laughs) This is crazy, though, to think about um, Mm -hmm. how much within these African cultures the slave trade was part of their economy, too, at this point. Right. Extremely important. Yeah. I I know I haven't done a lot of studying about the African slave trade. Right. Like within the country. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I know that slavery was very different than the slate, the chattel type slavery that we had set up in America. So there is some, uh, I guess, major differences. Sure. I'm not sure. It still seems like they weren't treated very well. Well, and yeah. They still are like not a free person. There's, there's <laughs> so, not like not a cool. It's but... not like a oh good slavery. Like that not one's really. all right. I I believe that the biggest like defining feature of chattel slavery uh-huh. was that your kids were also slaves. Oh like, wow. Okay. I, I think that that's not how it worked in Africa. Interesting. Necessarily. Now, by the time Jinga's father ascended to the throne in 1593. Large swaths of Ndongo were already under Portuguese control. Many of the Sobas, who were basically like the aristocrats of Ndongo, many of them felt like they saw which way the wind was blowing. So they went ahead and allied with Portugal and they paid tributes to them rather than their own king, which, of course, further impoverished the kingdom. No matter what N'Golo Colombo tried, their king, and this ranged from diplomacy and negotiations all the way to open warfare, He just could not defeat the Portuguese. And things only got worse when a tribal band called the Imbangala invaded Ndongo and allied with the Portuguese. So Colombo had to completely give up trying to get back any of his old lands. 
And he probably walked out of the room and then turned back and said, and just one more thing <laughs> for all you Columbo fans oh, you out Columbo there. Columbo fans out there. <laughs> I was glad you got that. I didn't know I you'd did, pick up a Columbo joke. I'm not a, not, I've never seen it, but I do know that about, about <laughs> Columbo, that he would, he'd be like, all right, I guess it's all wrapped up. Uh-huh. And then he'd be like, actually. Just one more like thing. Encyclopedia Brown, where he would ask the one question. Right. That just unravels the whole. <laughs> the whole case. In 1617, Kilumbo died, and Zynga's brother, Mbandi, ascended to the throne. Now, his first order of business was to eliminate the competition. We've seen this many times mm. in a royal family. Yeah. So he quickly murdered his older half-brother and his older half-brother's entire family, Damn. as well as many other rival claimants to the throne. Now, Zynga was 35 by this point, so she was spared. Okay. But Mbandi did kill her infant son. What? And then he had Jinga and her two sisters, Funji and Kambu, forcibly sterilized by pouring a boiling mixture of herbs and oil on their bellies so that, according to historyofroyalwomen.com, quote, from the shock, fear, and pain, they should forever be unable to give birth. Jeez. I mean, that's that is pretty dark. Ugh. Horrifying to think about. Uh, it really shows your confidence in your own rulership when you have to go out and murder anyone right. who might one day possibly oppose you and force people to not even be able to have a child that might might one day. Right. Also, ironically, creates some of your worst enemies. Exactly. More than likely, right? right. So Jenga ran off to the neighboring kingdom of Matamba, probably in fear for her life. Sure. Um, or just as likely, super pissed off. She's right. Like, I ain't hanging out with you anymore. <laughs> Now, meanwhile, Mbandi's second order of business was to rout the Portuguese. He's like, I'm going to do what my dad couldn't and beat these Portuguese guys out of here. Mm-hmm. So he's throwing himself into that. He's starting fights this way and that. But he had no military prowess. And just like his father, Quilombo, he did not have the warriors or the arms that he needed to really be a match for the Portuguese army. So they didn't huh. like learn anything from his dad. Right. Now, he was able to create a tentative alliance with the Imbangala, which was helpful, but otherwise he made very little headway. Oh, that was the tribe that just came in and invaded them. That's that they right. They were fighting with. That's okay. right. So he managed to kind of be like, hey, these guys suck. You know that. Like, let's, you know, so they were kind of like. I, they're probably like separate ends of the room, uh-huh. looking like eighth graders at a dance. Like, I'm not going over to you first. <laughs> so anyway, he's he's not getting anywhere. Sort of a stalemate. So in 1621, Mbandi reached out to Jinga, his sister. She's still chilling in Matamba. And, you know, he's like, uh, hey, hey, girl, it's your bro, bro. Remember me? Um, I'm the guy that sterilized you and killed your kid. <laughs> anyway, hope this email finds you well. <laughs> Listen, you're of royal lineage and you speak Portuguese. Will you become my chief negotiator? And please go to the governor of Portugal. Tell him to get off our backs already. Jinga, mm. kind of surprisingly, is like, oh, yeah, no problem. That's all water under the bridge. Oh. So let me go handle that for you and get my ass on over to the Portuguese governor. <laughs> uh, you know, family, It's know. We, we put these things behind us, right? Right. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or she's probably more than likely is like, well, the kingdom's more important than my personal feelings. Yeah. Maybe. She did hate those Portuguese. She did hate them Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Now, usually African rulers would wear European fashions when they met the governor, sort of as a way to let them know that, you know, oh, we're equals. We're, we're not from some savage tribe in an underdeveloped region. Mm-hmm. I could put on a suit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 
Shinga thought that that was basically a tacit agreement that their culture was inferior to European culture. So when she showed up to negotiate, she was wearing Ndongan regalia, just dripping with jewels. She had feathers in her hair. She was draped in all these expensive fabrics of fabulous colors. And she was rolling deep with a big retinue. This caused a real stir. And just as a perk, it required the Portuguese to pay her entire party's expenses while they were in town. I picture her, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, on her, she's packing up her shit to go to Luanda uh-huh. and see the governor. And they're like, oh, can I come? She's like, yeah, sure. Anyone else want to go? Anybody? <laughs> All right. Because they're going to pay all the time we're there. You want to uh-huh. go? You want to go? You want to like, go? <laughs> yeah. Uh, table for 50, please. <laughs> Thank you. And we're all, we all need separate rooms. My squad and I need separate rooms. Uh-huh. But in the negotiating room, the Portuguese had put out a bunch of velvet chairs for themselves and only a straw mat on the floor for Jinga to sit in. This was a common tactic to try and show how inferior they felt African rulers were. Mm-hmm. Well, Jinga took one look at that little straw mat on the floor and she's like, uh-uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No, I don't play like that. Couldn't be me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she whistled, called over one of her servants who walked up and got down on their hands and knees on the floor. And Jenga sat on that servant's back (gasps) and she conducted her negotiations sitting face to face with the Portuguese. A boom. You didn't think about that, did you? I brought my own chair. (laughs) I brought my own chair. His name is Frederick. (laughs) Now, this legend was later embellished, and it's said that once the meeting was over, Jenga got up from her little servant chair, and she slit the servant's throat right there, telling the Portuguese, quote, I never sit in the same seat twice. And after that, they always had a chair for her. (laughs) It's probably like, it's probably not true. Mm -hmm. We do kind of like the idea of some poor Portuguese (laughs) servant going up to their ruler and being like, hey, um... Yeah, I know you got this little power play you're trying to work out, but I'm the guy who cleans the rugs. (laughs) And last time there was so much blood. So can we just get this woman a chair, please? (laughs) Jenga's diplomatic mission was to negotiate for peace, right? Mm -hmm. So she talked terms with the Portuguese governor. She said, you know, our offer is Ndongo would cease hostilities. She apparently chalked up Mbandi's warmongering as, quote, the mistakes of a young king. Oh. Which... Must have felt pretty good (laughs) to kind of slight him Uh while she was representing him. (laughs) The thing is, he's an idiot. So don't worry about anything he does. I'm going to take care of that. Why are boys always so messy? (laughs) And she said also that they would allow Portuguese slave traders within their borders. And they also had some escaped slaves of the Portuguese king fighting in Mbandi's army. Mm. And she said, hey, you know, if you sign this treaty, we'll return them to you. You can have them back. But in exchange, the Portuguese had to agree to tear down the forts that they had built on Ndongan territory. And also, she said, my main thing is we're not going to pay a single tribute to the Portuguese king. She said only conquered people pay tributes. We're not conquered. Mm. We're here negotiating. So we're not going to do any of that. But also, it would be super cool if we could have like a military alliance. Y'all could back us up when the Mbangala or anyone else decides to attack us. We'll do the same for you. Okay. Kind of scratch my back, scratch your back. And at first, the governor's like, all this sounds good or whatever. But how do we know that we can trust you, that you're in earnest? And so Jinga played her ace. She offered to be baptized as a Christian. (laughs) 
I mean, after all, that's the whole reason they're there, right? <laughs> so they went ahead and baptized her right there in Luanda. She took the name Donna Anna de Souza to honor her new godparents, Ana de Silva, the governor's wife, and the governor himself, Joao Carrera de Souza. And the peace treaty was accepted. Jinga slash Ana de Souza went home to Ndongo's capital, Cabasa, triumphant with her big-ass retinue. <laughs> but things started to go wrong immediately because her brother Mbandi's alliance with the Mbangala tribe fell apart and Mbandi got his ass beat. The Mbangala actually took over the Ndongo capital, Cabasa, and they exiled Mbandi and created their own kingdom of Kasanji. The Portuguese looked down all this strife going on between them and was like, hey, this seems like it's between the two of y'all, so why don't you just call us when you've retaken your capital and we'll get going on the peace treaty once you have your shit together a little bit more. <laughs> also, Mbandi, uh, you need to get baptized now too. Oh. Well, Mbandi did manage to reclaim his capital in 1623, but Jenga went to him and was like, hey, uh, I don't think you should get baptized because that would make all the traditionalists in your court think you're some kind of puppet. Mm. So Mbandi refused the baptism and the Portuguese were basically like, well, then you can take this little treaty and shove it. They refused to leave their forts as they had promised, and they conducted raids for loot and slaves all over the kingdom. Now Mbandi was losing support fast. Jinga had taken over most of his duties and he was losing popularity. So. Maybe it's not surprising that only a year later, Bondi was dead. Some people say it was from suicide. He just felt like he'd done too bad of a job. He right. couldn't fix it. Some people say he was poisoned. <laughs> so did Jinga kill him to get her revenge years after he murdered her son? Possibly. Possible, possible. But also, Bondi was very unpopular. <laughs> he was very ineffective. Lots of people wanted him dead. So lots of options to choose from if you're looking for someone maybe in his court <laughs> that thought they'd be better off if he was out of the picture. Right. Tough to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> Too many murderers. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in this country has a motive. So <laughs> let's just say we're all cool with it. Let's just say he killed himself. Case I mean, he kind of did. Yeah. He made a lot of <laughs> enemies. Right. <laughs> so right. in my opinion. Responsible for his own demise, at mm -hmm. least. So yeah, Jinga's revenge took a harsher eye-for-an-eye kind of approach. Because mm. now that Mbandi was gone, Jinga wanted to be Ngola. She wanted to be the queen. And Mbandi had made it clear that he wanted Jinga to succeed him as okay. well. He had okay. told everybody, you know, because that's why she had all his duties and everything. Right. He's like, that's my girl. But of course, there were a few problems with this. First of all, Mbandi had a son, Jinga's seven-year-old nephew, who at the time was living with the Imbangalan war chief, Kasa. Um, when they had made that tentative alliance, Mbandi had sent his son, probably as like a collateral thing. Yeah, we've read about this in uh, our Pocahontas episode, That's I believe, right. where That's it's like, right. all right, well, since we're allies now, I'm going to send one of my children to live with you, and that right. sort of secures our Yeah, our you ba basically have a hostage, kind yeah. of, <laughs> but they're not treated like yeah. prisoners, but they're still like someone you care about, uh -huh. so you won't just fuck around with yeah, them. Yeah, you won't just invade. Mm -hmm. So the kid is still there with the Imbangala. Well, Jinga knows exactly how to deal with a succession problem like this. Uh-huh. So she seduced this younger war chief, Kasa, 
and convinced him that she had fallen head over heels for him. Oh. And it wasn't long before she proposed that they get married. She's like, I mean, I'm over here in Dongo. You've got Imbangala together. We're unstoppable, right? Mm -hmm. So Kasa and Jinga got married, a beautiful ceremony. But it was barely over before she ordered her nephew seized and killed right on the spot. What? Kind of a crazy party. I've never been to a wedding like that, and I don't want to go. Damn. So she straight up was like, oh, I want to get my nephew back, so I'll go and marry the guy who's his captor. Mm -hmm. He marries her. Oh, my God, you love me so much. Thank you for marrying me. She's like, yeah, yeah, just wanted to get my nephew back so I could kill him. Uh, I mean. Slit. Damn. Ice cold. That's dark. Ice cold. So, like, to Jinga, she felt like, I'm getting revenge on Mbandi, uh-huh. you know, for years later for her own murdered son. Right. But no word on how Casa felt about the whole thing. Oh, right. I picture him at, like, at a window in the rain, like, his <laughs> palm is on it, and he's thinking, was any of it ever real? <laughs> <laughs> I feel so used. I feel so used. Well, at the possible expense of Casa's broken heart, Jinga had eliminated her main rival for the throne. But her opponents had other complaints about her. Now, this was a matrilineal culture that meant that they traced bloodlines through the mother and not the father. They would have seen no problem at all with Rhaenyra's situation in House of the Dragon. They would have been like, that's her kids. Great. Mm -hmm. So some of the Indongans were like, listen, actually, neither Mbandi or Jinga are fit to rule because they're not from the first wife. They're from slave wives. So they kind of don't count. But Jinga felt kind of comfortable with this claim because she's like, yeah, that's true and all. But at least my dad was the Angola. Who are you? You know, like you don't have no king in your ancestry. So I'm closer than any of y'all. But then others were like, you're a woman. So it doesn't matter who your parents are. You're not eligible to be in charge. Wow. A very tedious, boring, tale as old as time kind of argument. And then some thought that her willingness to negotiate with the Portuguese was a sign of weakness. So they were like, we don't want a weak queen up in here in the middle of this crisis. So Jinga had a bit of a succession crisis on her hands. And this was one that the Portuguese would do their best to exploit. And we'll find out how right after this. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the show. The Portuguese governor and Jenga both wanted to honor the peace treaty that they'd signed a few years before and get the slave trade running stably again. But Governor de Souza got a little cocky, and he told Jinga that she would have to pay tribute as a vassal of Portugal. That was like her number one thing she didn't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> he also, very shady style, made all the Sobas, those aristocrats, pay Portugal tributes instead of paying those tributes to Jinga. And this further undermined her. But Jinga, like you said, was like, no, I told you before, mm -hmm. we are not conquered people. So she refused to pay these tributes. And more than that, she sent messengers to all the Portuguese plantations and told the workers there that if they escaped and came to Ndongo to join her, they would be considered free. Mm. Now, the Portuguese started to lose so much manpower, there's all these slaves and workers just slipping through the cracks mm -hmm. to run back to Ndongo, that... They complained about Jinga and said she wasn't holding up her end of the peace treaty and returning their escaped slaves, as she had promised to do. But Jinga looked around and said, oh, you want me to send back the escaped slaves? Of course I will. I said I would. But she looked around and said, but my kingdom doesn't have any. <laughs> oh, you, you talking about all these folks back here? Well, they can't be slaves. They're free. Oopsie. <laughs> Sorry, I got nothing to send you. <laughs> Too bad. So sad. Now, obviously, this made Jinga look like a total boss. <laughs> so many of those Sobas, the aristocrats who'd been lured to Portugal's side, they came right back to her. She was gaining strength by the day. Ooh, that made Portugal real nervous. Mm -hmm. So they decided to do what any powerful country does in the face of a nation that doesn't want to do as it's told. Prop up a puppet government that will give them whatever they want. Oh, jeez. So the Portuguese army dispatched some soldiers to protect one of these Sobas. His name was Hari Akiluanji. And they put him forward as a replacement king for Jinga. Akiluanji was one of these guys who was all worked up about Jinga being a woman. You know, he's running around like, guys, I just don't understand how a lady can rule. I mean, her tits will get in the way or something. <laughs> but he was a real threat because he actually was descended from the royal line somewhere in his ancestry. So he was kind of a good choice that the Portuguese had landed on. Mm. He could get a lot of support. Jinga sent some soldiers to crush this little rebellion, but it didn't work. Uh-oh. And that made some of these wishy-washy sobas change their minds again. Mm. And that weakened Jinga's claim. I'm picturing that scene in Hook 
when (laughs) Rufio draws the line in the sand and he's like, who's with me and who's with this fake pan? And they keep running back and forth and back and forth. That's the Sobas. Y'all remember detailed (laughs) moments from Hook, right? Whatever. Listen, somebody was nodding through that. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. true. (laughs) What of y'all was nodding? (laughs) So Jenga tried negotiating with Portugal while she's secretly gathering her forces together. But the Portuguese kind of saw through that. They said, Satan's done waiting. And they declared Kiluanji the rightful king of Dongo and then declared outright war on Jenga. Oh, now things looked pretty desperate for Njinga. She and her followers had to flee the capital to some islands on the Kwanzaa River. Battles raged, but she was outnumbered by the Portuguese and she suffered a lot of defeats. Things started to look up when Hari al-Kiluanji died of smallpox. Oh, so the Portuguese needed a new king, and they backed another Ndongan noble named Naglahari. And he wasn't a very popular choice, but he still had the support of the Portuguese and the more powerful Ndongan nobles. Jinga tried negotiating again. She offered them 400 slaves as a gift, and she said she'd even start paying those tributes to Portugal that she hated so much, as long as they declared her the rightful queen. You know she's at the end of her rope oh, yeah. to say that. But they said, no, too late. You are going to have to not only pay those tributes, but you're going to have to submit to our chosen king, Naglahari. You lick my boots, kiss the ring, so on and so, <laughs> so on. on. So forth. Jinga, obviously, she would rather die in battle than do any of that shit. So she just kept on fighting. But her forces were depleted. Some accounts say she had less than 200 soldiers. Oof. Even worse, both of her sisters, Funji and Kumbu, were captured and imprisoned in Luanda. And this devastated her. But then, an interesting message arrived for her. It was from the powerful Imbangalan warlord named Kasanji. Remember, these are the guys who initially invaded back when her brother was king. He kind of had a loose agreement with them, Mm -hmm. but it always fell apart. These, These are the tough guys next door. This guy had been an enemy of Ndongo for years. He was actually the one who routed Mbandi from Kasaba and established his own kingdom. Yeah, the kingdom of Kasanji. Well... He still had his own kingdom along the Kwanzaa River, and he was sick to death of the Portuguese. So he went to Jenga and said, how about an alliance? You got my warriors and your smarts. Mm -hmm. We could really get rid of these Portuguese and that asshole that took over the crown from you. But she would have to marry him and conform to his way of life and leave behind any symbols of her own power. That's right. I guess there was like this large bell that was symbolically carried by the leader of Dongo when okay. they went to battle, and he was like, you gotta leave that type of stuff oh, behind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and surpri- kind of surprisingly, Jinga accepted this proposal. Hmm. She married Kasanji, and she was inducted into Imbangala society. This is basically like a Sparta-type situation. They're like right. highly militarized society. Very much into getting as tough as possible, eat right. your Wheaties <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs> a real eat your Wheaties society. <laughs> kind of an eat your Wheaties place. I'm, my, my nation is more of a Fruit Loops nation <laughs> than a Wheaties nation. nation. Yeah. <laughs> We're about having a good time. A lot of variety here. I like that. I want to be in the Fruit Loops <laughs> nation. <laughs> yeah. What's up, Fruities? <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Fruit Loops Nation. I was trying to decide if I would prefer to be called a Fruity or a Loopy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the infighting. Oh, the, my, my, the people of the Fruit Loops Nation eventually <laughs> split into Fruities and Loopies. You'd think it'd be more chill over no, there. No, <laughs> it gets very ugly. Dang. Yeah, okay. one, of the wow. most, uh, one of the most catastrophic wars in history was between the Fruities and the Loopies. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> resulted in high fructose corn syrup poisoning. <laughs> so yeah, they were more of a meritocracy. Like if you were a, a like a, a high level person in, in Bengalan society and you had a kid, your kid had to join the war camp as an equal with everybody else in the war camp. They had okay. to prove themselves just like anybody else. It didn't matter who their daddy was or whatever. Smart. So they, you know, she liked that because she had been told all this time, you're a woman, you can't be doing all this cool shit. And she's like, but I am doing it. So shouldn't that count for something? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is another part of Jinga's story that's been somewhat obscured by like a rumor and hearsay throughout the years because her legend includes... Little tidbits like how she would eat the hearts of her enemies oh. or how she would decapitate slaves before battle and drink their blood. Like real crazy stuff like that. And more than likely, like a lot of these more lurid rumors is just the Western historical record trying to make her look bad. Mm. And we've also seen that many, many times in many stories. However, there is a grain of truth in these ones because there were customary Imbangalan rituals that she did more than likely participate in including a blood oath ceremony where she had to drink human blood, or the Maji Asamba initiation that includes the use of an oil made from a slain infant. Oh, no. Uh, History of Royal Women says that the ritual required you to kill your own child and make an oil to anoint yourself. But since Jinga had no children, she had to take the child off of one of her concubines and kill that one instead. Ugh. That's yeah. gross. Don't yeah. love it. No. Um, but I also was like, it's so funny when you hear the words drink human blood because you always imagine like a crazy, like big coconut full of it or something. And it's like a, <laughs> a huge amount. And right. Like, it might just be a little, like <laughs> just a Could little be. couple drops on your tongue. Right. It, it might right. not have been a lot. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. I feel like we exaggerate the volume of blood that's required. <laughs> Didn't we just watch something where they were like, oh, we make a we're blood brothers now. We're going to be bound in blood. And one guy like pricks his finger and the other one like does the thing. Oh, yeah. Slit your whole hand open. He's like, Oops. like, I can't stop bleeding. Oh, it was an SNL. It was an SNL. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and they had it spraying everywhere. <laughs> one of my favorite things to happen on stage. Oh, yeah. Spraying blood wildly. Oh, classic. One time we did a show where they had to vomit, I think. Uh-huh. And y'all had uh, rigged up a fire extinguisher. So it was this insanely powerful stream oh, yeah. coming out of this person. It was so gross. <laughs> the whole thing where there's a tube coming out their sleeve. Oh, yeah. And, and it runs just... down their costume and out their leg <laughs> and off stage somewhere. And every time you hold your hand up to your mouth, you just, just somebody backstage pulls the trigger. And it was like, yeah, very intense spray. Violent. <laughs> oh, spray of that's such a good show. So funny. Now, by all accounts, Jenga did incredibly well with the Imbangala because uh, she's a badass already. So they respected that. And she even became a warlord in her own right. Then she invaded the kingdom of Matamba, where she had spent a few years, and she conquered them. Oh, thanks for your hospitality, guys. I know, right? I'm back. <laughs> I loved it here so much. I decided <laughs> to take over. But instead of executing the queen of Matamba, which was an Imbangalan tradition, they always executed their conquered. Sure. Uh, rulers, Jinga showed mercy, and she just branded her as a common slave instead. Oh, so kind. You're so welcome. Sweet. <laughs> but now Jinga had a stable power base, so she turned her attention to expanding the slave trade within her own borders. This served a double purpose. Firstly, by selling slaves, she raised the money to buy arms and ammunition. Mm. Very important. Secondly, by controlling the slave trade, she denied the Portuguese their source of income. Oh. 
Plus, people started calling her the double queen, which is just cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's just uh-huh. a cool thing to happen. <laughs> I know. We were going to get a double queen, but it just won't fit in our room. Oh, you. She also started dressing in masculine clothes and insisting that people call her king instead of queen. She even took a male wife. Mm. So this has to do with a wider and very interesting conversation about societal expectations of roles like wife and husband and king and queen. And in many parts of Africa, women were female husbands or female kings because that conferred different distinctions and responsibilities. So it wasn't about what's between your legs, but rather about what role you were taking on in society. Right. It was stuff, especially if you were a childless woman, you would become a female husband and you would have a wife. Yeah. And there was a one woman who did this whose brother was like her surrogate. So she had children with her female wife, but her brother is the one who impregnated her. Interesting. However, as the female husband, she was responsible for the kids and and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Right. And so not that uncommon for Jenga to be doing this. There's a book called Boy Wives and Female Husbands Studies in African Homosexualities by Murray and Roscoe that goes into more detail about that for anybody who might be interested. Really fascinating stuff. Right. I love it, too, because it's so interesting to think about when you say husband, it's just got a different. Right. You, you're expecting a different thing from that person than yeah. you're expecting from a wife. Right. So the gender of the people doesn't matter. It's like what I'm expecting out of you yeah. or the king or queen thing as well. Uh-huh. So it's like it's more. It's really just interesting with our whole conversation about gender expression right now uh-huh. and like what how you present and, and all that sort of thing. I just found it really fascinating. I think of you as kind of the, the male. No, uh, the, the female husband around here. <laughs> My female husband. Yeah. Are you a male wife or do you oh, yeah. feel like a husband? Oh, no, no, no. I'm You're a male, male wife. wife. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I cook, I clean. <laughs> Try to make everything ready for you when you get home so you don't yell at me. I earn a lot of money around here. <laughs> yeah. We earn the same money now, so. <laughs> I know, right? For once. I'm finally coming into my own power, my own autonomy here. You're welcome that I let you be that independent. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> now, maybe a little more uncommon for Jinga was how she maintained a 60-man strong harem throughout her lifetime. And she made some or all of them dress in women's clothing. Meanwhile... Her army was full of women warriors, and her personal bodyguard were only women. Wow. Another story says that she would make members of her harem fight to the death for the right to sleep with her each night, only to be killed off the next morning. Wow. See, really, it's just like, you two are going to die. One of you gets laid first. Go. (laughs) Here's some knives. Go. Wow. Now, this particular element is frequently dismissed as hearsay, and considering that Amina of Nigeria was also said to do the same thing. We talked about her in another episode. It does kind of seem unlikely because, again, a lot of the Western record can't really be trusted because the Portuguese were just tripping all over themselves to tell people back home about this woman who was so oversexed and violent and savage and all the peoples of darkest Africa needed to be drawn into the light of the Lord or whatever it was. They (laughs) they made up a lot of stories like this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it it served a purpose Uh to make her look crazy like that. So it's. Likely not true, but she did have 60 men standing around that she uh-huh. probably absolutely did pick from each oh, night yeah. and say, you look good today. Uh-huh. Oh, I guess I better reward you. Mm-hmm. Oh, Eli's your birthday. <laughs> Come on in. My birthday. What a <laughs> <My> treat. <laughs> so Jing is doing her utmost to control the slave trade and Rambo her army up. But she's also still sending peace proposals to the Portuguese. 
asking for the release of her sisters who were still being held captive in Luanda, and suggesting a military alliance. But my conditions are, you have to let me back to Ndongo as the rightful queen, and again, I am not paying a cent of tribute as a vassal to Portugal. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm not going to convert back to Christianity. That was just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) But Portugal still did not want to dance to her tune, especially if she wasn't going to be the right religion. So she's like, all right, she just shrug her shoulders and continue to conquer the shit out of everything. She eventually took over control of all the key slave supplying areas, which I'm not entirely sure what that means. I'm assuming it's a poor region where you can just grab people up. Right, right. Um, yeah, maybe so. She even created an alliance with her people's traditional rival to the north, the Kingdom of Congo. But she really wanted her sisters back. Oh, man, they're still captured. They're still in there. She's like, I really want them back. They're kind of the only people she felt she could fully trust yeah. in her life. An opportunity struck when the Dutch arrived. Because oh. they already didn't like Spain and Portugal from way back. So she's like, great, some white people who also don't like the same white people that I don't like. Let's get together. (laughs) So she offered an alliance and she opened up the slave trade to the Dutch. And they agreed to back her up with the Portuguese. She was also able to get messages to and from her sister, Fungi, who started spying on her Portuguese captors for Zynga. In 1641, the Dutch and the Congo together defeated the Portuguese and drove them out of Luanda. Triumphant! Woo! Zynga immediately consolidated the slave trade under her own rule, and it wasn't long before she had a formidably sized army, a lot of wealth lining her pockets, and, of course, her famous reputation as a total badass. With all that, she was able to regain most of her lost Ndongan territory and her sister Kumba by 1644. So she got one of her sisters out of there. The other one's spying for her, doing an awesome job. And she's got a bunch of this land back that her dad had been trying to get. Right. So this has been decades in the making. But our girl also got bit by the expansionist bug. Yeah. It's kind of a bad idea. She started conquering lands in Congo that had never been part of her territory. Right. And that really pissed off the king of Congo, Garcia II. And this was nerve-wracking because they had a very tentative alliance between the Congo and the Dutch and the Ndongans. And the Dutch had to come in and be like, listen, guys, y'all are our only friends around here. Please don't fight. Yeah, right. <laughs> All Zynga's many W's had the Ndongan nobility declaring their everlasting loyalty. We'll mm-hmm. see how long that lasts. Which meant Zynga got tributes or slaves from them, which she turned around and sold to the Dutch for firearms. And by 1648, everyone, including the Portuguese, knew that Zynga was the big bad. She was the final boss in the region. No one above her, we all below her. But she couldn't stay on top forever. And we'll hear more right after this. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. So Jinga's on top. She's crushing it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of things went wrong at the same time. She lost two big battles with the Portuguese. In one, her sister Kumba was recaptured. And unfortunately, this revealed the fact that their sister Fungi was spying for Jinga and that she had revealed important Portuguese battle plans. They retaliated by drowning Fungi in the river Kwanzaa. Mm. Now, Jinga was devastated, but before she could even recover from that, another crushing blow quickly followed. The Dutch, whose presence was already being weakened in the area due to political infighting, found themselves defending Luanda from a new Portuguese expedition, and they were losing badly. Unbeknownst to Jinga, the Dutch sued for peace, and they agreed to evacuate Luanda. So when Jinga and her army showed up to back them up in battle, they're like, we're here, everybody, let's fight. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, so sorry, we already signed a peace treaty. They were like already sailing away. I'm like waving to her from uh-huh. there, but she's like, what? You didn't get my voicemail? <laughs> Bye. That's so crazy to show up to back them up uh-huh. and they're freaking gone. Already fleeing. So Jinga was forced to retreat back to Matamba, but even so, she had regained and held on to her Ndongan lands. And since she had concentrated so much of the slave trade in Matamba, she had increased its economic importance in the area, too. Now, both of her kingdoms were doing pretty well. Pretty impressive. Some people can't keep one kingdom together, <laughs> let alone two. All she had to do was sell a bunch of people. Oh, uh, ooh. Yeah. Yikes. So a lot of this was, you know, making her pretty popular amongst her people, but she also caused some controversy because she started adopting a lot of Christian traditions. Mm. I remember she had converted for political reasons. In the past few years, she had refused to return to Christianity, also for political reasons. Mm -hmm. And now she's in her mid-60s, and she decided to convert back to Christianity again 
For political reasons. Ah, okay. Uh, in an article titled Queens of Infamy, Jinga, Anne Theriault writes that after a battle with Congo, Jinga's forces captured several people, including two Spanish Capuchin monks. And Jinga granted freedom to these missionaries within her camp because unlike all the other missionaries she had met, these guys weren't, you know, telling her like, well, just let Portugal do whatever they want. That You know, you need to be with God and so on. They, they really kind of had a lot of sympathy for her position. They were like, yeah, you lived here first and it's kind of weird that <laughs> we're coming in. One of these monks even became her lifelong personal secretary. Mm. So they had a really good relationship with her. And Terry Alt writes, quote, Thanks to the arrival of the Capuchins, she conceived of a bold new plan to develop her relationship with Rome and convince the Pope to recognize her as a bona fide Christian ruler. After all, if she had the support of the almighty Vatican, surely the Portuguese could no longer challenge her right to the throne. And so began Jinga's strategic reconversion to Christianity in order to beat the colonizing Catholics at their own game. Wow. That meant that she increasingly relied on Christian converts in her court and among her advisors. But it also meant that if you did not convert or you kind of, if you were complained about the direction that the country was going, she bit back. Um, she empowered Christian priests to burn temples and shrines of her opposers. She even captured traditional Mbundan and Imbangalan priests and sold them as slaves personally requesting that they be shipped overseas and then use the money from their sale to build a Catholic church, Ugh. which just feels like insult to injury. Yeah. Well, I don't like that. Yeah. Finally, in 1651, peace talks resumed between Jinga and the Portuguese. They had been at war for about 25 years now, and both sides we're just tired of it. It's like, this is boring. I'm exhausted. Something else, please. <laughs> please stop. Plus, the Portuguese had been fighting a whole other war with Spain for 10 years at this point, and they really needed to concentrate on that. So Portugal ceded some land to Njinga, and she ceded some land to them, and they agreed to back each other up if anybody's enemies ever came through. And Jinga had to make sure that all the babies born in her kingdom were baptized while the Portuguese agreed to concentrate the slave trade within her borders. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Scratching each other's backs here. Exactly. As usual, the Portuguese included a little note that said that Matamba had to pay tribute as a vassal of Portugal. And as usual, Jinga ignored that little part and it was never ratified. <laughs> she crossed that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> After four years of negotiations, the peace treaty was finally signed. Jinga's sister, Kumba, who is now named Barbara because she had also converted to Christianity, mm -hmm. was released and she reunited with Jinga again. Now that it was peacetime, a lot changed. Uh, Jinga ended all of the wartime traditions, which included stuff like forbidding anyone within her war camp to have children, for oh. example. Um, but it also ended some of the more democratic and meritocratic practices that she had liked so much as an exiled woman trying to reclaim her throne. Ah. Now that she had her throne, she saw all that stuff as a threat to the monarchy. Oh, boy. So power corrupts. Ain't that the way it always is? It's like, for real. hey, we need to make it easier to change our government. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get in charge to make it easier. And then you get in charge and you're like, OK, now we better make it harder to change the government because <laughs> I like being here. Well, this is pretty comfortable. No, no, but it's me now. Mm -hmm. You see, that's different. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a good, good I'm one. I'm special. <laughs> one of the good ones. 
Uh, Jenga also stopped wearing men's clothes. Um, she became more feminine in her old age. So maybe the masculine clothes were just a way to be like, don't discount me. You right. Know? She reformed her legal code because she's still trying to be recognized as the rightful ruler in the wider Christian Western world. Big triumph when she received a letter from Pope Alexander being like, oh, man, you were doing so great at Christianizing your nation, wishing you all the best. <laughs> so on. It's like, it's like a letter from the corporate office. I know. Being like, this Taco Bell is doing exceptionally well. Amazing job. Good Employee job. of the month. Yeah. But she basically was able to hold it up being like, see, told y'all, internationally recognized political player in the house, uh -huh. you know. So that was really, you know, kind of backed up her claim. Right. But since hers was now a Christian nation, she also had to abolish the tradition of concubinage. And we know she loves that because she yeah. has 60 of them herself. Uh -huh. <laughs> and the peasants would not do it unless the nobles did it. And the nobles wouldn't do it unless Zynga did it. Mm. According to the history of royalwomen.com, they complained that Zynga, quote, kept more husbands and more lovers than we have wives. Oh. <laughs> they were like, I only have 20 ladies. You got 60 dudes. So probably giving a long suffering sigh like, oh, the sacrifices I make for my country. <laughs> and at the tender age of 74, Zynga chose her favorite concubine, a beautiful decades younger man named Sebastiao. <laughs> And married him in a Christian ceremony in February of 1657. Wow. Beautiful. You know, love finds itself in many different forms. So true. Everyone's, how'd you get together? <laughs> so how did you two meet? Well. Well, funny story. I had a harem of 60 men <laughs> and my country insisted I get rid of them. Pretty cool for Sebastian to be chosen. Of sure. 60 dudes, I yeah. suppose. So maybe there was some real love here. Speculation station, there was maybe some real love here because she's married a couple times just for gain. Uh-huh. And now she picked her favorite. So maybe she really had some tender feelings for well, this guy. That's a sweet way to think of it. Right? I'm gonna it might my stop in speculation station is that it was more like a bachelorette kind of thing, and they all had to compete with each other. <laughs> they each had to go on one date. Oh man. And she was like, I will choose the best. So they're all shit talking each other, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. trying to dig up each other's dark pasts. Ugh. Now, yeah. I would watch this like a historic, <laughs> historical fiction bachelor show with Jenga and her 60 man uh -huh. harem. I, honestly, uh -huh. I would watch that. <laughs> All right. Let's get on it. So if anyone's listening, we'll make Bravo it, TV. We'll make it one of our 90 shows in I our know, deal that we have with HBO. We are pitching like crazy <laughs> on this thing. So Jenga had achieved everything she'd ever wanted. She was the rightful, internationally recognized queen of not only her hereditary homeland of Ndongo, but also Matamba. Her nation was prosperous, independent, and stable. And now all that was left was to figure out who would come next. The older she got, the more worried about this she was. She was afraid that somebody would come in and upset her very carefully built Christianity apple cart <laughs> and get the Portuguese all worked up and just, you know, throw it all into the wind. So she named her sister Kumba, now Barbara, as her heir. In October of 1663, Jinga got sick with a throat infection. By December, it had spread to her lungs. She died in her sleep on December 17th of 1663 and was laid to rest with great ceremony. And Theriot says that Jinga made clear that she wanted a Christian burial. She writes, quote, After she died, Jinga's body was carefully washed by her attendants, who anointed it with herbs, perfume, and powders. 
Her hair was styled with corals, pearls, and feathers, and her crown was placed on her head. Her limbs were loaded down with jewelry and arrangements of elephant hair, a symbol of royalty. Her body was wrapped in two richly wrought brocade cloths, and velvet slippers were placed on her feet. Then, mindful of her instructions, her attendants replaced all this with a habit, a crucifix, and a rosary, though they left her hair and crown as they were. This ceremonial dressing and redressing represented a middle ground between the two traditions Jinga had spent decades navigating. I kind of love that, yeah. that they, they kind of did both. We'll give you both. That's pretty cool. Yeah. We're going to do one, undo it, and then do the other. The poor funeral guys were like, oh my God, I got to do this twice. <laughs> you know, I only get paid for one job here. I get paid by the body. Hey. Not by the clothes. It's the queen, all right? The double queen. Get your shit together, <laughs> True, man. <yeah. laughs> Go get the crucifix now. Now, you know, as we've told her story, you can see her legacy is very complicated. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's super badass and cool, and there's a lot to like about her. A lot of slave stuff that's a little bit yeah, more like, yeah, ooh. She definitely, and then uh, like slain infants and blood drinking and stuff yep. that's sort of like, hey, yeah, yeah. Now, again, a lot of the oversex blood drinking rumors that abound about her today came from one Portuguese guy who wrote a biography about about her in like the 1700s after she was dead. It became a sensation in the West, uh, but it had very little basis in fact and a lot of basis in disliking an African queen who refused to be conquered. Sure, right. Sure. Now, for Angola, which, by the way, this area, Ndongo and Matamba is now what is called and Angola oh, in sure. Africa. Because Ngolo was the name for king or ruler, That's right. right? That's right. And the Portuguese misunderstood that when they heard it. <laughs> they thought it was the name of the country. So they were like Angola to everybody. Sure. And that's why it's called that now. Translation error. Wow. So for Angola, Jenga is still remembered as a great ruler, a brilliant military strategist, and a certified badass. Mm. She's often called the mother of the nation. And... After all the hullabaloo that Ndongo had put her through about having a woman in charge, everything changed after Jinga. In the 104 years after her death, women ruled for 80 of them. Wow. So she kind of like just blew all that problem out of the water. They, uh -huh. did, they were like, I mean, what do you, you know, we've got a great example <laughs> wow. of a great queen. So I, I guess it's fine. Within those 104 years, 24 of them were men. Mm -hmm. If they were like, oh, no, uh -oh. here comes a guy again. Jeez. We really all know men can't rule here. They're too emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mbandi did. He was very emotional. emotional, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's out here just flailing around. Uh -huh. In 1975, Angola shook off the Portuguese once and for all and gained their independence. And they used Jinga as a symbol for their nation's independence. And that's when scholars got interested in Jinga's story. And they finally started fact-checking all this stuff that was written uh, about yeah. her. There is a street named for her in Luanda. And in 2002, Angola put up a statue of Jinga and women like to get married next to it or at least have like newlywed photos taken next to it like you would with your mom and dad. <laughs> they would have oh, it wow. taken with Jinga. <laughs> Maybe as a subtle message to the fellas like you might be my husband, but I am inevitable. <laughs> oh, look at that. And I don't know. I, I'll say that Anne Terriot said that the slave trade stuff. Uh huh. Uh, apparently, if you look at historical records, she claims that the numbers of slaves leaving Jinga's kingdom eventually dropped to zero. Oh. So that maybe she, you know, was willing to use the slave trade until she didn't need it as much anymore. Okay. 
However, I could not find anything to back that up. Yeah. And it was seems odd to me that she would make a monopoly in her kingdom and then there was no slave slave trade there at all. I, right, I don't right. know that I see that. So if any if anyone knows what that is, I would love to hear more about that. You uh, know, because I found it really interesting. It is interesting. And it's just one of those things where it's like maybe she had to use the slave trade mm-hmm. to get rid of the, you know, to, to gain power, to ultimately get rid of the Portuguese. And it was like, you know, a a good end game mm-hmm. for her to do terrible things. I think when you do that, you also accept that people are going to have an opinion of you based on those terrible things that you did. Right. And it's not always just like, you know, ends justifying the means. It's also like, yeah, but you still did those things and it's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's reality, right? That's the real history of especially war and conquest. All these things is that like, it's the good people do bad things and bad people do good things. Mm-hmm. And it's very murky and muddled. Yeah. And I know Anne Terriold had also said like, you know, that she she grew up in a place where it was incredibly common. She had slaves of her own, sure. you know, so on and so forth. You know, I, I have said before, I, I hate that, like, well, it was different in her time uh-huh. or their time or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not untrue. And the main thing is, it's just interesting that we're so willing to muck around in the complicated legacies of a lot of Western kings and queens. Right. But we don't care to learn about African kings and queens who did very similar good and bad things yeah and you know kind of see see what their deal was you yeah. know what i mean or instead we're like we're just talk about them drinking blood and stuff and whatever. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah treating them more harshly right than i don't know thomas jefferson you know exactly. like <laughs> exactly yeah i'll say too that i had a little bit i was felt a little bit like uh ambivalent or whatever about the Christianity conversion, because uh-huh. to me, I know that the Portuguese did not actually conquer Ndongo and Matamba because uh-huh. they had to negotiate with her as an equal. She got to maintain her authority uh-huh. and all that. But they also kind of got what they wanted because she converted her whole country. Uh, and yeah. that's sort of what they were going for. So yeah. it feels like they got she they kind of did get colonized in a different way. Right. Right. And of course, it's her prerogative to have whatever religion she wants and everything. But, sure. it, you know, I was just like, I don't know, it kind of feels a little whatever. They didn't conquer her militarily. Right. But in the marketplace of ideas <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the country did not democratically switch to Christianity. It was not like mm-hmm. a, something we all agreed on. It was, no. OK, from now on, all our babies are getting baptized. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's true. So I was kind of like seesawing about that one. I do want to make sure that we zero in a little bit on, I think, the ridiculous romance that sort of spiraled out into this story for us mm-hmm. uh, a couple of places, both when she married, um, obviously, when she married the Imbangala. Casa. Casa. Yeah. Just for that little that little trick. Oof. And she just bailed on him after that? Yeah, I think so. Pretty oh, much. That, Hopefully he found love. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere out that. there. He, uh, for years, Casa was like, I'm swearing off love. It'll never happen for me again. Where's Casa's Hallmark movie? You know, he's like the scorned lover. That's what we need. And he's like, I'm done with love. You uh-huh. know what I mean? And then he goes home and he meets like a beautiful, um, you know, copywriter for a magazine or something. <laughs> <laughs> and Cupcake <it's>, baker. <laughs> and it's the same universe because he's like, oh, and my... X, the one who jilted me, mm-hmm. she's on. It's it's the spinoff show where she's doing a dating show. That's right. She's oh, doing Bachelorette. Man, Angola. Okay, we just need a whole history historical fiction channel where we get to just make 
don't make up shows like this. Sometimes I think if we're living in a simulation, that's all it is. There's just so many stories somebody mm-hmm. came up with that they're right. just like, they're just all happening all over the globe at once. <laughs> and that's what we're living in. Yeah. So what I, I need is an Earth-wide simulation. It's got to have like between six and eight billion people. Um, all these stories are happening simultaneously. It's the only way to fit them all in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's my plan. Oh, wow. All right. Call me HBO. Get started on this. <laughs> Let's get started on the worldwide simulation. Yeah. Well, if you're excited to live in Eli's simulation, <laughs> or if you have any other comments about this episode, because it is a, I mean, this is a really fascinating one. It yeah. was, it was, it was really easy to lo- like her a lot. And then mm-hmm. I, there was a hard, other times when I was like, mm. yeah, you know, she's, so sure. she's not a, a cut and dried type no. of historical figure. No. But reach out to us. You know, we love hearing from you. Our email is ridicromance at gmail.com. That's right. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at oh great, it's Eli. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And the show is at Ridic Romance. That's right. And if you want to give Eli a belated <laughs> birthday gift, go on to Apple Podcasts and give us a review and a rating. That's right. We would love it. It helps Especially people good. discover the show. I know, right? If it it's does. bad, keep it to yourself. Yeah. Uh, but if it's good, please do share. It helps people discover the show and we would love to have more beautiful listeners like you. Thanks so much, y'all. We'll catch you the next episode. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.